Hello and welcome to Living Wow Feminist. Living Wow Feminist is a weekly podcast talking with feminists about the ups and downs, ins and outs, and the emotional rollercoaster ride of living a feminist life. I'm your host, feminist writer, researcher, and author, Jen Thorpe. Hello, podcast listeners. It's me, Jen. Thank you so much for listening to season two of Living Wild Feminist. Today is our last episode of the season, but don't worry, we'll be back soon. It's a short episode that takes a look at how far we still have to go in terms of economic liberation. Today is also International Women's Day, so sending messages of strength and solidarity to all activists out there fighting for gender equality and women's equality. Thank you for the work that you do, and I hope that listening to these episodes has made each and every listener feel a little bit more ready to keep fighting the good fight. So take care of yourselves, and we'll be back with Season 3 soon. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Naledi Maponopono. Naledi is a grade 4 to 6 Isikosa teacher at Redham House Atlantic Seaboard. She's also a lecturer at the South African College of Applied Psychology. Naledi is the Deputy Provincial Secretary of the Young Communist League of South Africa in the Western Cape and the director of her own company, Inquenquezi Language Services. Naledi was the very first person to send me a submission for Living While Feminist. Her piece is called My Body as a Site of Violence, and in that piece she says, I find liberation in understanding my oppression because understanding my oppression helps me define the tools I can use to constantly liberate myself and other women. So today I'm going to talk to Naledi about liberation, about teaching, and about a more equal world. Welcome, Naledi. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much. <laughs> so overwhelming to hear that about myself, which, you know, is quite nice to hear. You know, when you do things, you don't realize them about yourself. So thank you. Um, also, I'm a grade 4 to 12 teacher at Redham. I'm really glad that you enjoyed your introduction. It's obviously based on facts, so take that in and enjoy it. <laughs> you start your and you say that despite having pride in your culture, there's elements of it that are oppressive to you, that you challenge. Can you tell me a bit more about why you decided to start your piece here and what some of those challenges are? Yes, so um, growing up, you know, in a home where we are socialized according to our foster culture, beliefs, principles, and so for me, um, culture and, and, and religion, they serve as, you know, things that socialize us to become um, in a certain way as human beings as we grow up. So in my culture, what I noticed about it as I was growing up is that it was very male-dominated or male-orientated. So I would notice but not be able to explain why I was so uncomfortable with, for instance, if there's a family meeting um, it's always the first call would be your uncles which are male and if there's any ritual it's the males who are at the forefront of doing it and the women have you know um, rigid uh, gendered roles um, which are mainly not the decision making roles but limited to being in the kitchen cooking cleaning you know so growing up as well you know there will always be comments of why are you so lazy? Who's going to marry you? You know, it's, it's engraving you that you are being socialized to become someone's wife and you have to be this perfect wife who's going to pay children, clean the house and cook and clean. But for me, this was problematic because no one was saying things like, 
you you know do you want to own your own company one day don't you want to you know graduate become someone and so this was not you know what was being reinforced but rather me being socialized to become a woman who belongs to someone and there are many elements of the culture itself which suggests that when a woman is married um she doesn't own herself anymore but she's rather owned by her man and his family so those things for me they struck out you know when i got to university and i learned about you know feminism then i thought oh they are the tools that i can use to analyze why i've been feeling so uneasy and not you know um not being socialized to to become whoever i want to be you know and not be limited to being someone's wife or you know being fixated into gender roles of cooking cleaning you know so that that's mainly why i started with my culture because i believe it's the one that has socialized me or was trying to socialize me to become a particular woman but i just to have my own path as to what woman i want to become and i do respect my culture and the elements of it that are beautiful and that i love but they have there are elements which I, I don't agree with. And so you say it was at university where you sort of found the tools to unpack what was going on and to find the language to describe your experience. Can you tell me a bit about what you studied there and how it was you came to encounter these feminist ideas? Okay, so at university, I did a Bachelor of Social Science. So I majored in public policy and administration, sociology, and it's a language and literature studies. So um, during... Um, sociology when I took electives also in politics um, and I learned so much about you know the theoretical framework into the school of feminist thought particularly in sociology as well um, I remember in my second year we learned about the uncompensated labor of women so we learned about the migration of women women who migrate from different countries to go and become you know helpers or nannies in in affluent homes or um in homes of women who are of an upper class than them you know so and my mom was also a domestic worker so also that element that my mom was a domestic worker growing up it it, it was always something that troubled me because I didn't understand why she had to work there and it couldn't be why couldn't we live in that home you know and why why did she have to do that job for us to survive and what I noticed that um it wasn't she was she never earned enough so but she was working so hard so those things never made sense for me um and then when I got to university I I got those tools which ignited a flame which had always been inside of me to say I knew this was wrong but I couldn't explain it but the school of of, of feminist thought helped me to understand gave me the tools to understand the oppression of women you know, both in terms of race, class, and gender. And then I could understand why my mom had to be a domestic worker, you know, our country is racialized, you know, uh, her class, why she had to be in that social position. So it's, I think, in the sociology, um, you know, the school of sociology, which opened the doors for me to understand feminist school of thought is, is, is those tools that I learned at university. You say that then once you had learned these tools, you had the feeling that your democratic rights were just a formality rather than a lived reality because of this triple oppression of race, class and gender. Can you tell me a bit about what you meant by that? So um, for me, it, 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 in, in our democratic South Africa, we have um, a beautiful constitution which 
is there to protect the rights of women, vulnerable people in general, and women in particular, women living with disabilities, um, queer women, you know, women who are poor. So, but in reality, what we find in our society is that South Africa has a very high femicide rate, um, has a society which is very, quite homophobic, a society which is quite um, ableist in that, you know, in, in whatever policies are, are made by the government, for me, I, they, they always lack a, a, a gender mainstream approach. And also they lack in terms of understanding the different structures of women. So we've got poor women, we've got affluent women who are middle class, you know. And so for me, they don't um, have an intersectional approach in solving the complexity of problems that women face based on the fact that we inherited a society which was unequal um, on race, but not race alone, race, class, and gender. So um, colonialism and, and apartheid created a society which is unequal in terms of race, class, and gender. So for me, they only focus on the racial part, but not realizing that it, it for me, it's, it's a, it's, 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 they intersect. So I always use intersectionality to try and explain the train of thought because you can't separate the, the race from the class you can, and you cannot separate it from the gender. So these things are whole encompassing. So now when we have these beautiful laws, but in reality, the, 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 the position that women find themselves in is not, that's why I say to me, it's theoretical, it's good on paper, but in, in lived realities of women, um, the laws themselves are not having an, the desired outcome because even the, the justice system, you know, and, and basic things like, you know, employment of women, the unfair labor practices against women, you, the, the wage gap, which is gendered, um, the working environments of women, where women who have children struggle to have a career because now they are forced to choose whether they want to be a mom or they want to have a career, which should not be the case. So for me, the, the laws, you know, um, the political will is not enough to make the changes that women need so that they can also have an equal chance in life as, as their male counterparts do. So you linked these ideas there to things like political will, to patriarchy and to economic inequality. And as a young communist, what do you think communism has to offer us? And how do you link communist ideals and feminist ideals? For me, um, I, 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 I really think that Marxist feminism, which is a branch of feminism that draws from Marxist ideals to try and explain um, the, the, the manner in which capitalism itself is detriment to women, you know, because in a capitalist society, the labor of women is uncompensated. And by uncompensated, it means that, um, so the gender roles that women perform, they don't have any value in a capitalist system. And I think it's also the result of women, you know, earning less than men in, in environments where they do more or the same work as men. So it also boils down to that. Um, and, and Marx explains, you know, about the, 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 the inequality of the family structure, you know, and how women themselves, they do the most labor to upkeep the family, which he calls the bourgeoisie family. 
but in actual fact, their labor is uncompensated or unrecognized. It's expected of them to do it. It's something that's inherent or biological, but no one actually gives women the position they deserve in the family and also the due compensation. And compensation not only in monetary form, but also in recognizing the efforts of women in the family structure and everywhere else. So for me, feminism gives us the tool to understand that also liberation of women cannot be cannot be achieved if we do not transform the economy. Because as it stands now, it's difficult for women to even tap into the economy, own businesses, you know, um, be directors of companies, be, you know, drive the economy. So it gives me the tool to understand that also um, private property in a capitalist system is mostly owned by men because women do not have the financial muscle to own property, you know. So for me, it gives me the tools to help me understand that the reform that we need for women also needs to be economical so that women are empowered, so that women can stand on their own and not have to um, depend on anyone. So part of being empowered is being able to provide for yourself, provide for your family, so that even if you 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 are a heterosexual woman and you have a male counterpart, you don't depend on him, but you are financially uh, uh, stable in order to sustain yourself as a woman. So capitalism helps me to understand that. Yeah, you've touched on important ideas like the gender pay gap, which is obviously able to be explained partly because women are not paid the same as men for doing the same labor, but also because women are kept out of the economy by their childcare responsibilities. So I just want to tell you some statistics that I've read. I'm reading a book called Women Versus Capitalism by mm-hmm. Vicky Price at the moment. And, and so she mentions a sort of tongue-in-cheek study done by a British-based newspaper called The Daily Telegraph in 2014, which calculated what a housewife is worth based on the general pay of all the different domestic and care professions that she, that a housewife replaces for free. So a washwoman, a private chef, a driver, a therapist, a personal assistant, a live-in nanny, a tutor, a cleaner, and a private nurse. And the newspaper estimated that Um, If all of those different roles are taken into account, then a housewife should be paid £159,137 per year, which is extreme if you think of all of the benefits that a male is getting out of a relationship where a woman is doing all of that domestic labor, never mind the emotional exhaustion that comes with it. Um, So I, I think Marxist feminism is very useful for us to understand that. You say also in your piece that feminists in South Africa have a duty to liberate themselves and others from the patriarchy that exists in this country. How do you think we should go about doing that? I think for me, we should use any platform that we have, you know, to because, you know, a system sometimes as an oppressed person, you don't even understand sometimes that you are even oppressed. So, you know, you find many women who think that being hit by your man, you know, growing up for me in a township, if a man hits you, he loves you, you know, if he doesn't hit you, then clearly he doesn't love you or, you know, and all those those things which become embedded in the society as a norm. So it's not perceived as gender-based violence, but as a norm that a man is supposed to um, be, you know, um, dominate or you know be you sort of have animalistic behavior you know so for me i think as feminists we should use any platform we are given to 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 spread the message to educate you know 
and this not coming from a point of you know better but to to make all women of all classes of all races um and to 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 explain to them about what patriarchy is so that they also understand that some things which happen in the household are not necessarily normal so for me as a person actively if there's a um, ceremony at home a traditional one i always try to 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 create change in the environment by saying no why must the woman do that and not do that so for instance i was asking my uncle why can't they teach me to slaughter a cow because i also have hands and if they show me how to do it surely i can be able to do it as well so i think everywhere you go you might think it's small but it's actually a greater contribution to change gender roles in general in wherever we find ourselves in so we all need to have you know a gender our minds need to be gender mainstreamed in the fact that everywhere we go, we are dismantling patriarchy. So the little we do, generations to come will inherit whatever it is that we 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 we, we fight against. So they'll remember that, oh, there was an lady in our family who refused to do ABC, but she asked, could she do what the other men were doing? So I think wherever we go, we are a feminist. Whether you are in the shop, whether you are at school, whether you are at work. And it's not easy, I know, because there are people who are, you know, who are so conservative and so, you know, um, um, so stuck in their ways, thinking that um, culture is static, for instance. But culture is not static. It moves with time. And so does anything else. So that's where, for me, anywhere that we go, if I get a platform as a leader of the Young Communist League, I always, I use the opportunity to, to, to change. It's my Facebook post. It's everywhere I go. They will know, and even if it's it's irritating for some, or it's like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I'm a broken record, but at the end there's someone who will get the message and start to also think, okay, no, things don't have to be like this, and it starts with all of us because at the end of the day, we are stuck with a massive problem of gender-based violence in South Africa. So it means each and every one of us has to play a role to dismantle patriarchal relations of power. And one of the platforms you have for dismantling that role is in your work as a teacher. Can you tell me a bit about what your perception of the need for feminism in our classrooms in South Africa is? And have you seen any ways that the classroom can be a space for challenging gender inequality? Yes, definitely. The classroom is a great environment to dismantle patriarchal relational power because because I teach from grade four to grade 12, I'm dealing with different age groups. And from different age groups, they are inquisitive about different things. So even though I teach Isikosa, but the things come up because particularly I'm teaching them a language. So even in my language, there are words which are considered feminine and others masculine. So So when I teach this, they ask me why, you know? So there comes the discussion and then we start to discuss. So we, 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 it's, it's young minds that you are training, you know. So in our classrooms, I believe that the curriculum also from a Department of Basic Education level, it needs to to be gender mainstreamed, you know, to, to teach the children about, you know, gender, how complex it is, you know. But given the opportunity in my classroom, when the, I always start the discussion with the children to say, okay, this is what gender is, you know, what do you understand of it? And then we explain it to them. And of course, the concepts for them sometimes are a bit complex to understand, but I break it down for them. 
and they still, you know, they still remember, you know, the following day, they'll still ask me, ma'am, yo, you taught me a lot yesterday, tell me more, I didn't understand, because the other day, they were actually asking me, ma'am, um, oh, 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 you have a son, so I said, yes, so then I said, yeah, but you don't have to call him he, you know, we can say they, to refer to him, then they said, why, so I explained to them, no, we don't have to give him a gender, he can choose his own gender when he grows up. So we started that discussion about pronouns and then they understood. So I think the classroom is a very powerful tool to use to shape um, young minds. So I think the Department of Basic Education needs to do more and also the IEP, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the IEP, I'm, I teach at a private school. So I think there is where we can get it right from the root um, as they are growing up. That's so amazing that you're able to have these conversations and that I think you're creating a space that makes it open for the kids to come and ask you those questions, which is really valuable. So thank you for that on the ground work every day. Um, one of the things that I'm asking every person who comes on the podcast is, do you have a book that has inspired your feminism? Well, for me, it was mostly academic reading. So not necessarily a novel. So, you know, I've been so bad at um, reading novels since I started university because the reading gets so much and then you don't even have time to read for leisure. But there was one book I read. Um, the It was a book about Winnie Mandela explaining about her life, what she went through um, in the prison, you know, and the erasure of her contribution to politics, the erasure of, you know, all the efforts that she put in to keep the, the, the liberation movement alive. So that book for me, I think it was called The Dream of Winnie Mandela or the, I forget the title now, but so that book, it really, you know, it made me realize the gravity of how women's contribution in any place in society is is erased in such a way that, whatever they whatever women do is not recognized and for me i felt she did so much but um you know yes she was not perfect but to vilify her and to you know there is no perfect leader even men are not perfect in leading liberation struggles but the manner in which she was vilified and she was made out to be such a horrible person when she did so much to contribute to the liberation of this country as a social worker during apartheid for me it struck me a lot and I felt that we need to do more to recognize women in every sphere of society whether they're political leaders or not while they are still alive you know because now for me it's immaterial that we, we say we celebrate her but she's no longer here to know that we appreciate what she did for us and now I wasn't even born yet but I appreciate the immensely what she did for me so that book really opened my eyes because I didn't really understand what she went through so you know as a woman in prison not having sanitary towels not being able to see your kids being taken away from your home it just it 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 ignited me to actually because now I'm in a democratic society and I have more tools than she had to to you know to push through for liberation so yeah it really it it moved me I just forget the title but I think it was it not the resurrection of Winnie Mandela by Sitonke and his mom? I think so. It had a blue cover, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> Do you have a quote that inspires you or that you live by? 
I actually, I like the quote by Winnie Mandela when she said it was her birthday. I think she was 80. She was talking and she was explaining about how, um, you know, she, you know, she still has this flame, but she was eight years old. And I was like, wow, this woman. Then she said, you know what? Um, our oppressors and, 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 and people who oppress women must not think we have lost our will or our fight. And then she said in Kosa, meaning we can take up the bet anytime, any day we are ready. So I really, I really like that quote because I often use it myself and say, hey, don't think we've forgotten what our mandate is to fight for the liberation of women. So she said, and I'm one of those women as well. Go to any time. If there's a, a, a war that I must go for on behalf of women, I'm ready. So yeah, that's the quote that really moved me. And what is your advice for young feminists or other feminists on their journey? My advice would be um, be strong. Strong as in not, you know, a toxic kind of strong or pretend like everything is okay or it's easy. It's not easy. But be strong in your in your convictions, in your beliefs, and know that what you are doing and what you are saying is right and that people will come and, and tell you that, you know, there's all these theories about feminists. Feminists are not happy. If you're heterosexual, they'll say you don't have a, a partner. You are unhappy. You are angry. Um, last weekend, I was told actually that my feminism is extreme. So all these names will be called. But, you know, in Kosa, we say, meaning um, people will only talk about something which is progressing. So the only reason why you can call those names is because you are, re- you are hitting the right nerves by saying your convictions, believing in the principles of feminism and understanding that the little contribution that you do will liberate future generations. So I would say soldier on to all the feminists. We need each other um, in all our different spaces. All the work that we're doing, when it comes together, future generations will inherit the work that we've done. So I would say soldier on and um, and let's support each other in any way that we can so that we continue um, the fight for the true, the total emancipation of all women in society. Well, thank you, Naledi, for the work that you're doing with the next generation already to transform gender norms and ideals of the future. And thank you for coming on the podcast today to talk to me. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and the book. I love it. Mm. I'm, I'm going through it. Yo, it's moving me a lot. I'm glad. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Living While Feminist with me, Jen Thorpe. Please do tune in next week to hear more from feminists about their lives and experiences. Take care of yourselves.